Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, an update on air safety from the flight attendant's point of view. Then a long-term look at the American traveler's sentiment, where we want to go, as well as where we might actually go. And then, a few predictions for the next six months in travel as to how much we'll spend and whether business travel is ever going to come back. First up, a hard look at airline seats, not just in terms of comfort or size, but a frontline question. Can we really safely evacuate an airplane in an emergency? 
with someone who might know, Sarah Nelson, president of the Association of Flight Attendants. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Sarah Nelson, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Peter. Happy to be here and happy to talk about this. I know because this is not a new subject for you. In fact, this rule was actually once proposed back in 2018 but never went anywhere. It wasn't, it wasn't implemented. Now it's being proposed again. Why don't you walk me through what, it, what the rule actually means? Yeah, so actually this has been a 30-year fight. We, um, this was first proposed in Congress by Norman Netto, who later became uh, Secretary of Transportation uh, for 10 hours rest for flight between flights. Uh, we couldn't get that done. We had to prove why this was necessary. So Congress uh, commissioned fatigue studies. Um, it was determined that fatigue was rampant among the flight center ranks. Um, that is a really uh, serious safety and security loophole. Um, Flight attendants need to respond uh, with urgency uh, when someone is having a heart attack or other another health issue, uh, when there's a fire that breaks out on the plane, uh, when we have to evacuate evacuate uh, passengers on um, uh, on an emergency landing, um, and all of the other emergencies that can happen on board. That if there is a moment delay, a moment delay in our response, it can be catastrophic. Uh, so those. Those fatigue studies determined that not only was this bad for flight attendant health, um, it was bad for uh, safety on board the aircraft, and uh, the pilots had a minimum of 10 hours rest. And I, I, I want to be really clear, what used to be in place was, uh, well, what's in place today until this is implemented in the next 90 days is uh, nine hours of rest that can be reduced to eight in the operation. So as people have been talking about the disruptions to the operation for airlines, Imagine all of the flight attendants who were experiencing very long days and then with the ability to have reduced rest down to eight hours, which means from the time they're stepping off the airplane to the time they step onto it again. Uh, if, you, if you think about getting through the airport, getting to the hotel, trying to get something to eat, talking to their families, uh, doing all the things that they need to do, and then the reverse in the morning, um, it, it getting back. That's, that's really only an opportunity to be in the bed for four or five hours after a 14-hour day um, at compressed air uh, and pushing 300-pound carts uh, in turbulence. I hear you. This is, this is a really, really big deal. This 10 hours cannot be reduced for any reason. It is the federal law that sets a standard across the industry, even where we have negotiated uh, better rest in our contracts. This is uh, more enforceable because airlines might be willing to take on uh, a contract violation here and there, but they don't want to violate a federal rule. 
Well, let me ask you this, because it gets down to two words that most passengers aren't aware of, and it's called block time. And that is, you know, my understanding about crew rest was that in the old days, by the way, that could have been yesterday, but in the old days, uh, the crew rest period started when the plane got to the jetway, as opposed to when you actually arrived at the hotel. Which one is it? That's correct. Um, the, the federal regulations um, and what FAA can track is uh, the time from the, the plane uh, reaching those blocks. You might add on a 15 minutes after that um, for the deplaning of the passengers and on the front end add in, say, 45 minutes for a domestic route uh, to account for uh, safety checks, crew briefings, and boarding. Uh, but other than that, it's not the time that you're at the hotel. It's the time that you're essentially uh, stepping onto the airplane um, and stepping off of the airplane. But, you know, it's entirely possible. In fact, I won't even say it's entirely possible. I'm saying it's probable that in many cases the time that it takes you to get from the airport to the hotel can range from 30 minutes to more than an hour. That's not crew rest time. That's more transportation. That's exactly right, and that w- that is included – um, as crew rest time. So many of the contracts we'll negotiate uh, where we can, we can work more directly with the companies on identifying when this happens, uh, rest at the hotel. Um, so that's where we go from here is we, uh, we use this as the base then to negotiate better uh, because, frankly, uh, this is a minimum. That's what, the, that's what this is under the regulation. It should not be uh, the rule. It should not be happening all the time. If flight attendants have that 10 hours rest that you're helping to describe here that's not all rest, um, that's not really an opportunity to catch up and, um, and be fully rested. It's, it, we're just making sure that this is um, not as bad as it was under the old rule with two hours less rest. Now, of course, we have to translate that into, guess what, how airlines now have to schedule their planes to accommodate for this minimum rest time. We've already had a, a, you know, a year of which we had no really reliable schedules. We had misconnections everywhere, delays, cancellations. And, of course, that didn't just affect passengers. That affected crew. Yes, of course. And, and so this is going to be better for crew, but this is better for passengers, too. Not only are you going to have a better experience, imagine flight attendants have to de-escalate conflict more than ever on the plane. And uh, when you're trying to do that and you're fatigued and tired, uh, anyone can understand that that's probably not a recipe for success. Uh, but beyond that, what this also ensures is that flight attendants uh, will have a better ability to remain healthy. Um, so it's a disruption for passengers when flight attendants get sick, and fatigue leads to sickness. So this is very likely going to add to more reliability. It's a contributor. It's not going to. It's not going to be a major change, but it's certainly a contributor to more reliability for passengers. You know, I'm reminded of a story that's somewhat related to this in terms of how airlines get scheduled. Uh, you know, if you take a look at the flight schedule of Qantas, the Australian airline, they were using planes, you know, with like 45-minute, 38-minute, maybe an hour connect times. And then a- about three or four weeks ago, they instructed their senior management, 100 of their senior management, to leave corporate headquarters, go out to the airport, put on some knee pads, and start loading bags. And an amazing thing happened, Sarah. Within 24 hours, Qantas changed their flight schedules to add in another hour between flights because their senior management, forced to do that job, realized what we all realized already. You couldn't do it. That's right. 
That's right, and it's good that the government did that because Qantas um, has refused to listen to the unions who have been telling them this uh, for years, that this is a problem, and more recently uh, with these schedules. And they were ignoring that, and it wasn't until the government forced them to have to see what the unions had been saying that they actually realized that this is a problem and they needed to change it. Where management listens to their workers on the front lines they have better information. They're able to better make uh, decisions that make sense, not overpromise to the public, and uh, create problems because because they're not addressing the issues that the people who are doing the jobs are identifying. I actually believe this strongly, and I believe this for every industry, that senior management needs to do all the other jobs at least once a year so they can relate to what's really going on. I would love to see senior airline management work the ticket counter, load the bags, Empty the lo- empty the lavatories, uh, you know, tug planes, so they realize it just you know it's not just looking at a piece of paper and looking at somebody checking off a box saying we were on time when in fact you were far from it. Yeah, that would be great, but they could also just listen to the unions and work with them and push back on when the hedge funds are saying uh, we don't really care because we want you flowing that cash to us. So go ahead and uh, we don't we don't care about your schedules. You figure it out. And they take the pressure more from those hedge funds than they do from uh, the workers on the front lines uh, who are telling them that there's problems. So there's there's a lot of resources for CEOs, especially in places like Quantos, where they have plenty of union involvement and worker uh, ability to talk with management about those problems. Well, I'm assuming with this new crew rest period coming in, it's not going to happen overnight. As a proposed federal rule, there's a 60-day period for public comment and then another 30 days for it to actually be posted, assuming it stays in its current form. So for all intents and purposes, we're really talking the first of the year, aren't we? Well, we're actually through all of that, Peter. So this is the final, final rule. We went through the comment period. We've, we've done. This is done. We've been through the whole regulatory process and, and – uh, uh, Acting Administrator Billy Nolan handed me the first signed copy of the rule yesterday at DCA. Uh, that just needs to get posted to the Federal Register, and the and the uh, FAA has given the airlines 90 days from that to have this implemented. Sarah, one of the topics that you and I talk about all the time, and I'm waiting for a new rule on that, is airline seats. You know, the the Congress mandated the FAA, actually ordered the FAA many years ago to come up with a new set of standards for what is an acceptable coach seat. And, and uh, they didn't do it. And now they're saying that they're going to start to consider it. They're opening it up for public comment. But here's my question to you as a working flight attendant and also the head of the union. Every airline is supposed to be able to, not even supposed to be, they're required to be able to show the FAA that they can evacuate a fully loaded plane with half the exits blocked in the dark in less than 90 seconds and every year the airlines pass the test. I fly all the time um, with all the exits open and not in the dark, and I can't possibly imagine how anybody could evacuate the plane the way it's currently configured in 90 seconds or less. What am I missing? You're not missing anything at all. Here is the issue. The airlines and the manufacturers and the FAA have moved away from actual evacuation tests that you're talking about, and they have done computer-simulated modeling on this. Um, you know, the problem is, is that that cannot predict failure. And so we, our advocacy has been to move back to the real evacuation test where you don't have a set of teenagers in 
uh, issues who are the passengers, where you actually have real life cabin conditions, people with their computers out, their laptops out, their phones out, cords out, where they're plugged in, uh, you know, luggage everywhere. Um, many people will try to bring that luggage with them. Uh, we need to simulate, we, we need to conduct actual tests of these cabin environments to determine whether or not those evacuations are possible. With a cross-section. Which is with, why, with, coupled with, with... I was about to say, with a cross-section of age, physical ability, um, and... Cross-section of age, that's exactly right. Um, there are, you know, people with disabilities um, have access to our air travel. We need to take all of these things into consideration. And um, those kinds of tests have not been conducted in a very long time. They've been using data from prior tests and integrating that and essentially computer modeling that. That's why, coupled with that uh, provision from Congress to check on the minimum seat size, we said, no, 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 don't just do that because we're going to come up with a standard that may is maybe worse than what we have today. You have to conclude, you have to pair that with a, a real assessment of the evacuation standards and, and uh, those certification standards that are based on uh, successfully completing that evacuation. And so we are pressing very hard on that because uh, we believe that no matter who's in charge in the government, if you have a real uh, evacuation test and, and you get back to that, uh, we're going to get to a place where these seats cannot be so tight, so close together. My guess is, and by the way, I would bet my career on this, I'm going on record now, that if we took a fully loaded 737 with a cross-section of age, physical disability, baggage, uh, carry-on bags, half the exits blocked, in the dark, and then told people, okay, get out of the plane, we'd be talking over six or seven minutes minimum. And that's not acceptable in a situation where you've got fire. It's not acceptable. That uh, fire can rip through a plane in uh, less than 90 seconds. That's why the 90-second uh, rule is in place. And um, we're very concerned about this. And, and the one thing I just want to accentuate here is that our workspace is your travel space. Uh, it's much harder on us when we have more people jammed into that metal tube so close together, uh, very, which also creates greater opportunity for conflict. Um, so this is an issue that flight attendants care very much about, and uh, passengers can know that they have uh, not only an ally here, um, but one of the biggest advocates for them on this particular subject. So here's my stupid question of the day. If they're going back and they've been allowed to go to computer simulations, this also scares me in terms of how airplanes are built, because up until about 10 years ago, any airline manufacturer uh, had to basically get the plane certified, and they would take a prototype, put it on a test bed, and take every component part to failure to figure out how you write the manuals. How do you make sure what's acceptable in terms of speed, temperature, altitude, you name it. Then they got permission to do computer simulations. I'm not happy with that, and I'm certainly not happy with computer simulations on, on evacuation tests. So what's the next step here, Sarah? How do we, how do, who do we talk to to get them to go back to real-world uh, evacuation tests? Well, I think that we have to um, recognize that uh, Chairman Peter DeFazio did take on Boeing and did get in place uh, different uh, increased oversight from the FAA on uh, aircraft maintenance uh, manufacturing. We can use what was done there and now have the conversation about the cabin and have the conversation about how we're going to have different standards. The FAA bill is up for discussion. 
this next year. This is an issue that we are taking there. Uh, general members of the public can start sending their comments in to the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, where this bill is going to be written, and the Commerce Committee in the Senate, and uh, say that this is an important issue to them. My thanks to Sarah. In the summer of 2022, there was no doubt about what Americans were thinking about. Getting out of town and traveling at any cost. We were pent-up demand on parade. But what about now and looking ahead to the rest of this year and then into 2023? Are we as determined to travel? Some surprises there. Amir Elon, president of Longwoods International, has done the research. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Amir, welcome back. Peter, great to be back. So taking a look at the American travel sentiment, uh, especially in one you know, life-work balance issue, which we've never had, let's face it, um, you're, you're, you're learning some, some interesting things now about how Americans are approaching work, not to mention travel, right? You know, absolutely. Um, we were thrown a curveball with this pandemic, obviously, and folks realized they could work from anywhere for the most part. Um, and, and they would take extended vacations, maybe run a beach house for a month or two, or an Airbnb somewhere, and, um, and, and, and work for part of the day, play with the family for part of the day. And kind of got used to accustomed that. And then, of course, before the pandemic, we saw this phenomenon of leisure travel, as we'll call it, right? The combination of business and leisure travel, where uh, perhaps uh, the company pays for you to go to a conference or a sales trip and you extend on your own dime for a couple of days and go do some, you know, go do some activities. And, and this, all this blurring of lines started happening. And now we come through the pandemic and there's, you know, return to the office and other old travel patterns in certain ways. And there's, and, and travelers are going, well, you know what? I was okay with working while I was at the beach house. But now that I'm kind of going back to the office and everything, I want my own time again. My time is my time. And I don't want the company to expect me to work when I'm there. So so we're seeing that. 
I was about to say, little news bulletin here, a lot of companies are saying, not so fast, partner, you're back in the office now. Exactly, exactly. So that, so, so that's kind of been the uh, little ringer. So we asked them, what's about your work life yeah, when, when it comes to travel? Uh, and we saw some pretty stark results here, uh, pretty telling. 58% of American travelers are indicating to us that they're less likely to work during their leisure trips than they were just a year ago. Um, and and two-thirds, actually, are saying that they're more focused now on their work-life balance than they were ever been. So so uh, employers, I think, need to kind of take note of this, especially with, you know, a lot of folks playing, uh, you know, kind of the workforce game and, and looking for opportunities that uh, um, that if, if, they're, if they're allowing their employees to extend their business trips into personal travel, they, they need to kind of look at the fact that um, that employee wants that wants that their time to be there. Of course, it's going to be a real strong challenge and a struggle as people try to define what constitutes work time, what con- constitutes leisure time, especially if you're not in the office. It was one thing during the pandemic, but now you're seeing major corporations saying, "Get back to work." Exactly. So that that's going to be the challenge. They're going to have to. Uh, um, there's going to have to be a lot of good communication about expectations when it comes to travel in the workplace now. Now, there's one other item here, Amir, that 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 I don't think is going away at all. I've seen so many Fortune 500 companies redefine their definition of what constitutes vacation time. Um, and a yeah. number of country, companies are saying, we're not giving anybody like two-week vacations or three-week vacations. We're giving you unlimited vacation. You can take as much time as you want as long as you get permission and as long as your work is done. So that coupled with the nomadic lifestyle that was basically erupting during the pandemic, how do you, you know, the horses have left the barn, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. And ironically, our company just did the same thing this year uh, as well with some limited paid time off. Um, you know, yeah, we, 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 we broadened the expectations. We broadened flexibility for, for our employees and, and uh, uh, a lot of employers are you know saying that for the first time in many years, the employees are when it comes to benefits and, 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 and broadening those definitions. But uh, I think, again, it comes down to having good communication, setting expectations, and putting the right, the right protocols in place. Uh, why, why, why shouldn't, uh, you know, why shouldn't the team member that's, uh, you know, been on a week-long sales trip uh, on, a, on a plane ticket that you paid for, why shouldn't they be able to extend their trip into the weekend and get, get a little golfing in Palm Springs maybe and uh, uh, if, if they're paying for that time themselves? Well, wait a minute, Amir. They were doing that before the pandemic. <laughs> they were, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. But now, when it becomes corporate policy that you have unlimited paid time off, then how do you redefine that and and retain employees who have gotten used to that? Yeah. Well, you know, I think I think the expectation is, um, you know, you know, you, you you you've taken the burden off the shoulders of the employee to use it or lose it, so to speak, right? Uh, you, you, you've taken that stress of, oh gosh, I need to take a vacation versus, you know what? I have an opportunity to take some time off. I don't have to worry if I'm counting days off. I don't have to worry if I've got, uh, you know, if, if, if I've got days to burn or, or, if I, or if I'm maxed or does that keep me from taking the trip to go see my, uh, my, 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 my you know, the grandparents uh, uh, later in the year. But, but now, 
but 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 now we, we, we now we made it easier. We 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 we've, we've given them more options, more flexibility, and and they like that. Um, they they feel like they have more of a say in their in their life than 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 they did before. Americans were so determined to travel in 2022, they were going to travel at any cost. And I emphasize the words in quotations at any cost. They were not price sensitive. Hotels were getting $1,200 a night for rooms. We, we found a Motel 6 in Santa Barbara, a Motel 6 that was not only asking $436 a night, they were filling the hotel. So we were bound and determined we were going to go no matter what. And then, of course, September rolled around. We got our credit card statements. It was like, excuse me, I paid what for that hotel? And a number of my friends are saying, okay, that's it. We're staying home for the rest of the year. But Amir, your survey says that ain't the case, is it? No, they're, uh, they, they, may be, they may be telling you they're staying home, but uh, they're telling us they're going. Uh, you know, we're, we have not seen the demand for travel abate at all, despite the, uh, the, 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 the fiscal headwinds that we're facing here as a country. Uh, in fact, we're currently looking at 9 out of 10 travelers telling us that they have plans to go somewhere in the next six months. And more specifically, when we're talking about the, you know, kind of the first look at the holiday travel season here, only 11% of travelers indicated to us that they currently do not have any plans for this holiday season. Right. So and those, wait a minute, those are the guys, those are the guys who exceeded their credit lines on their credit card. That's it. That's exactly who that is. <laughs> that's, that's exactly who that is. And, 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 you know, but, 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 you know, when we look at the other, at the other issues uh, that, that, that we ask in our surveys about this, it all, it all lines up, you know, gas prices have gone down considerably uh, since their peak in July. As a matter of fact, in July, early July, uh, 43% of travelers told us that the gas prices would greatly impact our decision to travel in the next six months. That's down 20 points now to just 23%. And of course, you know, what did we see, Peter, in the summer? They came, as you said, they paid, you know, they, they, they made it happen. So they had to pay $600 uh, for, the, for, for, that, for that hotel you mentioned there. But, uh, but, but, so they bought a few less T-shirts and maybe they ate a little more fast food uh, and, and, and whatnot. But they made it happen. The bottom line is, um, Americans are still seeing travel as a right. They want to get out there. They're still paying catch. They're still playing catch up. And uh, so for the holiday season, they're going to make it happen one way or the other. Yeah, they're not going to pay six hundred dollars for that hotel anymore, but they're going to figure out how to make it happen. And they're going to make a choice between that and a retail purchase. And maybe they don't do the retail purchase, but they're not going to stop traveling. And 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 that's and that's really right. Uh, you know, they're so, so you know. In fact, twenty five percent of those travelers are telling us that they're currently reducing the amount they're spending on retail purchases when they travel just because of the inflation and the economic conditions. So, and about a quarter also reducing their spend on entertainment and recreation. So yeah, less, less souvenirs, uh, less gifts, uh, uh, but, but, but the gift of travel itself is, is there. And don't get me wrong. They're not under any delusion that, that it's going to be a, a, a deal traveling. In fact, 31%, well, so one third of travelers are telling us that they anticipate to spend more on their travel uh, this holiday season. So they know what they're getting into. Oh yeah. Of course, we have not yet reached the tipping point, and I used to argue this all the way through this year, that we were never going to reach the tipping point when people were going to stop using their cars based on the cost of gasoline, and I think that was borne out, right? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. We, 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 have, not, we have not seen the tipping point. In fact, you know, people got in their cars more. Uh, uh, you know, it, was, it was the airfares that, was scaring them, that were scaring them, and the, but the airlines with cancellations and delays and everything else that were scaring them more than the gas price. Well, you so know, yeah. People came... 
people came. They, they, they just reallocated the spend. They did, they did something else, too, which didn't come across in any survey whatsoever. They adjusted the number of people they were cramming into the cars, right? It wasn't just one guy in the car. It was the entire Clampett family with grandma strapped on the roof, and there they are. They were just, if we're going to get in the car, we're all going to get in the car. <laughs> and I think that's Oh, yeah, no, we... we oh. Oh yeah, we, we we've been seeing travel parties size uh, uh, increase steadily since the pandemic. They they've been grabbing extended family, like you said, and and and, and going, which puts a pressure on on the on those businesses trying to take care of them, right? Because how do you come? How do you accommodate those 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 big groups? How do you accommodate? How do you accommodate all those uh, uh, um, you know those extra people wanting re- you know, a party of ten instead of party of four at the restaurant and so forth? Um, so so the pressure's on. And of course, I got to ask what used to be the elephant in the room question: fear of COVID. Is that having any impact at all? You know, it's, the impact is continuing to wane. We're you know we're we're very happy about that. Uh, it, it's not what it used to be. Uh, matter of fact, forty eight percent of American travelers are telling us right now that COVID no longer has any impact whatsoever on their travel. But there's still a small percentage that is still very leery of it. Seventeen percent of travelers have said they're still. Uh, they still think COVID will greatly impact uh, how they're going to travel. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's keeping some folks from traveling internationally. Uh, it's, it's keeping some folks traveling by car instead of flying. My thanks to Amir. And now an industry look ahead to 2023. Arnie Weissman, editor-in-chief of Travel Weekly, talks to me about the real promise of travel, as well as the real wake-up call on costs. Welcome back, Arnie. Oh, thank you, Peter. How are you doing? Well, I'll tell you how I'm doing after you tell me the bad news about where the where the rates are going, <laughs> where the <laughs> fares are going. Okay, so uh, we, we've got some data from uh, the Carlson, well, formerly Carlson Wagenly Travel, now called CWT, and uh, they did a study on how much airfare rose and hotel rates rose and car rental rates rose from 2021 to 2022 and also predictions for 2023. All right, let's start with 2021-2022. Okay, so probably no surprise because 2021 was kind of hijacked by the Delta variant, by I think the beginnings of Omicron, but airfare went up 48.5%. From 2021 to 2022, and hotels went up 18.5%, and cars, a very modest 7.3%. But if you remember, car rental rates were extraordinary last year because they had fleet shortages. So generally speaking, everything went up, not too surprisingly, because people started traveling again after the pandemic. Now, next year, with inflation figured in, it's actually not as bad as you might think, because inflation, we're running at roughly 8% now. In 2023, they're looking at an 8.5% increase for air. And a big portion of that is because they expect business travelers to begin traveling again and booking those front-of-the-plane seats which costs more. Right now, the front of the plane is full, but it's full with frequent flyers uh, who have a lot of points and who are filling the seats that weren't sold. Got it. But they expect next year that there will be many more sold. So that 8.5 includes a lot more of those premium cabins. So it shouldn't be as bad back in the back of the bus. What you're saying is next year, at least for airfares, will be somewhat less painful, but still painful. Correct. 
Correct. And and not even as much as possibly for economy tickets, it won't even be as much as inflation. So that's the semi-good news. The bad news is they're still going up 8.5%. Then when you get to hotels, we're looking at about 8.2% as an increase, expected increase. Um, I don't know that the same is true exactly in terms of business travelers, but I think what they are anticipating is a lot more uh, activity in meetings and conventions. So the meetings and conventions, as you know, create what they call compression. When you fill your hotel halfway with a meeting many months out, that means that you can start increasing the rates for the remaining hotels, just you know, supply and demand. And uh, cars are actually only going to go up about 6.8%, which, uh, again, taking inflation into account isn't that bad a jump, but it's still 6.8%. Well, you know, you mentioned business travel. We've seen uh, percentages that were pretty astounding that corporate travel bookings in the month of August were up 73% over July. And then in September, bookings from September through November 19th are six times higher than what they were in 2021. So there's, uh, you know, some of those figures might be a little bit low on hotels. I think those rates might even go higher. Yeah, I mean, they certainly could. You know, if, if the business travel really does come back, especially more robustly than they thought. And one thing that I thought was really kind of interesting in the same study is that uh, in-person meetings and events in 2022 rose by 65% compared to last year. Uh, but just as interestingly, virtual events dropped 70% year over year. Well, you know, we've, you and I have always said, yeah, you have always said this, and I've said it too, nothing beats eye-to-eye, face-to-face. And uh, as the fear subsides about, about COVID to a certain extent, uh, people are coming back out. Absolutely. And, and, you know, there was a lot, a lot of people were predicting that once people got used to Zoom meetings and uh, that this was going to be replacing the face-to-face, and that just is proven, as you and I predicted, not to be true. Well, we go back 20 to 30 years when they came with the advent of uh, teleconferencing, and they all thought that was going to take the place of meetings. That didn't last very long. But what we are seeing is this. Within corporations, if you're going to have an internal meeting between departments, they may actually do it by Zoom, uh, whereas industry meetings are not going to go away. People still need to attend those and those conventions, and they're still going to go. So you may see a drop-off of about 30% representing what was the internal meetings within corporations. But intra-corporations or inter-corporations, big difference, people are going to come back. Yeah, and, and when you think about it, it's, if you have ever been to industry conferences, it almost doesn't matter what industry you've been to, that, that chance meeting in the hallway uh, with somebody who you've been chasing for a long time to speak with, or you're just the people you happen to sit next to at a meal function who you, maybe you don't know, but it leads to something. Arnie Weissman, the editor-in-chief of Travel Weekly, with some interesting and might even be some disturbing numbers about what happened in the last two years, but even more provocatively, what may happen coming up. And that gets into something called ancillary fees, uh, what airlines earn for things not related to the actual flight of the plane, how, they're gonna, how much they're going to charge you for a bag, a meal, uh, 
a, a ticket change fee, uh, their frequent flyer program fee that they get. And those numbers are astoundingly high, which leads a lot of people to believe that the airlines in many cases may make more money from the ancillary fees and their frequent flyer programs than they actually make from flying the plane. Here to support my crazy thesis, once again, Arnie Weissman. How bad is it, Arnie? Well, when you think of 2019 as, as still being the sort of baseline, the last year when travel was more or less normal, and it was a record-breaking year, by the way, uh, and you look at 2021, which was not a terribly robust year, ancillary revenue for, for the airlines was up 39% above 2019. In 2021, my God. In 2021, it was up 39%. And when you look at that in terms of ancillary revenue per passenger, in 2019, it was $21.54. In 2021, it was $29.36. And this seems, you know, strikingly counterintuitive, but there's a reason. And the reason is that the airlines make money off those frequent flyer points that you get when you use your airline, when you use your credit card. So if you remember 2021, people were still, and people are still now ordering from Amazon like never before, there was, or, or any other sort of delivery system. And so when you look, for instance, in 2021, Delta Airlines made $5.9 billion in ancillary revenue. Of that 5.9, 4.1 was from the credit card uh, companies for selling their points. United, same story, $5.5 billion in ancillary revenue. And of that, 3.9 was from loyalty programs. But wow, when you get wow. past, yeah, when you get past that, now this is going to be no surprise to you, Peter. When you look at the airlines and how much they made per person, uh, <laughs> this is going to be no surprise. Allegiant Airlines, the one that will hit you up for every time you blink, made $64.30 average per person in ancillary revenue because everything they do is ancillary. Right. So what you're saying is that $64 is over and above the ticket fare that you paid. Absolutely. Right. So this is something to keep in mind when you're booking the, you know, ultra low cost carriers is that the price that you're seeing that you're paying for the fare is unlikely to be the final price. And when you think about that $64, there are going to be some flyers who fly these uh, ultra low carriers all the time and they know, okay, I'm going to follow the rules and pay as little as I can. That means other people are paying significantly more than that $64. So as a, as a percentage uh, of the total revenue that they got, another ultra-low carrier, Frontier, 54.9% of all their revenue was ancillary. Wow. wow. Allegiant was at 51.3%. You know, it, what's interesting about all that is that you can make the argument then that they're making more real dollars from those ancillary fees than they're making from the fares themselves. And there's another reason for that. We've talked about this on the show before. It's almost a tax dodge because airline tickets are taxed at a very high federal excise tax rate. So for every $100 that an airline is selling a fare for, there may be $65 in taxes associated with that. Whereas 
if they're charging you fifty dollars a bag, those aren't those aren't airfares. Those are fees, and they're just taxed at regular state sales tax. So their net from the bag fees is much higher than it is from the airfare itself. Yeah, they make more from the ancillary fees, and it is why the ultra low cost carriers are the most profitable airlines. My thanks to Arnie Weissman, to Amir Elon, and to Sarah Nelson. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, you know the drill. Just log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts.